This is Toledo Symphony Lab, a behind-the-scenes look at the world of classical music from WGTE Public Media and your Toledo Symphony. I'm Brad Cresswell. Joining me in the studio today are the Toledo Symphony's principal second violin and artistic administrator, Merwin Sue. And joining us by phone is the TSO's music director, Elaine Trudell, and we have a very special guest today. That is Aaron Wiley, who is making a return appearance to Toledo Symphony Lab. Aaron is a psychotherapist, also the owner of the Willow Center. And Aaron, welcome back to the program. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here again. Now, you have joined us by phone. Elaine is on the phone. Merwin and I are in the studio. We're wearing masks, as we have been all throughout this season. Of course, the pandemic looming over all of us. But before we get started talking about uh, dealing with the pandemic, because that's sort of the tone of today's episode, talking about coping under COVID. Uh, Before we do that, Some good news, which many folks already know. Uh, This program won two Touchstone Awards from the Press Club of Toledo. It is a wonderful honor that we've had the last few years. And we won for the episode that we did with you, Aaron, talking about stage fright. So big congratulations for that. Yeah, that's super exciting. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Okay, now that we've power team together. Yes. Now that we've started out on on a high note, let's bring it down as much as we can. Right? <laughs> um, we thought it would be interesting to bring you back, Aaron, and talk a little bit about coping with the pandemic. I mean, we don't want to make light of this at all. As, as we know, the numbers have been going up lately, especially in Ohio. I mean, as we're speaking today, there are over 232,000 confirmed cases, 20,000 hospitalizations, over 5,000 deaths due to COVID. So it's a very serious subject. Many people facing, you know, difficulties not only in their lives as far as the disease itself goes, but also with the economy and with jobs and all of that. And it has certainly had a huge effect on the arts as well. And people who follow the Toledo Symphony are familiar with their efforts to keep the music alive, as it were. So we have a whole lot of stuff to talk about. But Aaron, we established last time, you know, you're also a performer, a singer, an actress, and a therapist. So you sort of have this bird's eye view of what's going on. Can you start out just by talking a little bit about your own personal experience during the pandemic and and how this has been affecting you? Sure. Well, I don't get to perform nearly as much as I used to when I was a professional performer, but um, every now and then I get up to the Croswell Opera House in Adrian, Michigan and do a show up there. And it was super disappointing. I think everyone has their big COVID performance disappointing story. Um, But my son and I, it looked like we were both going to be cast as potentially as leads. It was looking like it in Footloose. Um, And then the whole season shut down. And so my son, who is applying now for BFA programs all over the country for musical theater, um, we were going to get to be in our first show ever. And it may, I hope not, but it it may have been the last or only chance that we'll get to be in a show together. So it was super disappointing to watch Um, local theaters all have to shut down. Uh, especially when it's such a big part of our family's lives. Yeah. You know, there's a sense of irony and also heartbreak, given the fact that the last time we were together, we were talking about, 
you know, the perils of live performance vis-a-vis stage fright. And, and now we look back on that and that, you know, hard to realize what a privilege it was to be afraid to perform, right? Right, right, yeah. <laughs> for, for, for good reasons, not because you're afraid. You're literally, I mean, literally could be killed by a virus. Yeah, absolutely. And so, yeah, to be scared just for the sake of, you know, not making a mistake seems like, you know, child's play at this point. Right. Well, Elaine, you've been up in Canada all this time, yep. and you have an orchestra up there that you've been working with as well as being involved here in the Toledo Symphony. I mean, how are things going for you? You have the perspective of being, of course, in a different country uh, under a different sort of quarantine than we are. But how how are things going for you? Oh, they're not going. <laughs> yeah, they're not going at all. Yeah, well, we had a, we had a moment in the summer where there was about a one month window, uh, mid August to mid September. No, well, until October first, so a month where um, they tried opening up again, and um, when this moment came. Uh, I, you know, we booked the orchestra in a studio and we just recorded like crazy for a week, uh, whatever we could record. And now this is what is being broadcast. But no, there's, uh, there's not uh, an opportunity like we have in Toledo to uh, keep the music alive. Uh, and, you know, yeah. it's, uh, it's of, of course, there are the rules that we have here. It's We're in a, zone, a red zone. Uh, can't really travel. Can't go even in the same province kind of go to another place that's not red as uh-huh. well so it's complicated and they really decide they, they want to flatten that curve so uh, everybody's uh, they, there's no the restaurants are closed uh, the theaters the cinemas uh, everything basically is closed except you know you can go, maybe do your groceries and that's about it yeah <laughs> have you yeah. been uh, practicing your cuisine while you're uh, under quarantine uh, a little bit but you know I've uh, the first part of the quarantine um, uh, that went until the, the middle of the until August, I played a lot of trombone. Uh, I, well, I started off by editing all the concerts that we did the, with the Toledo Symphony to have a series until June, uh, and the the, the 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 TV series we did for for WGT. Yeah. And after that, uh, I played trombone for a while. Then when when we did the, when it came back, then I've been writing. I've been writing ever since, so I'm writing a lot of music these days. It's very uh, cathartic. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, well, it's interesting, yeah. It's yeah, yeah. That you've been yeah, writing. I mean, yeah, that's on a personal level, you know. But uh, my job is to be um, is to be like uh, a good uh, how do you say a good influence and somebody who tries to make things happen for my colleagues. So that's that's also difficult. Uh, I mean, yeah. I'm super grateful that in Toledo we can keep playing. That keeps me occupied also, well, with Merwin also. We put the programs together. We, we've had to um, find a whole lot of new ways of, uh, of making concert happen. Like, you have the distance, the mask, uh, the, 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 the MO, you know, of how we do things, the modus operandi of how we do things. And this is completely different. But, you know, a lot of people are getting used to playing uh, at more distance from each other, and there's something I don't know. I mean, we'll learn something out of it, but uh, for sure, it's uh, it's not something that uh, that's helping the arts in any kind of way or helping anybody in any kind of way. I mean, we still want to see um, what we can do about it or when we can make of it. And I try to stay positive, 
in the sense that what what can we learn from this and this yeah. situation? But you know, we're not fooling ourselves and saying there's a great opportunity on the other side. Either. Absolutely. Well, you, as you say, have an influence on other folks. You are in a leadership position. One of the things that um, you haven't talked about so much is the fact that you have to be light on your feet when it comes to repertoire. Because if you're talking about a reduced orchestra and spacing them out, you've got to perform works that require fewer performers. Well, it's really interesting because in the first part of November, and this was as much um, serendipity as design, we ended up performing... Um, some really noteworthy and iconic pieces that were composed in and around the Second World War. Yeah. Uh, pieces like the Fanfare for the Common Men and Appalachian Spring by Aaron Copeland and the Quartet for the End of Time by Olivier Messiaen. And so these are pieces that very much responded to difficult conditions and very much responded to kind of limited instrumentations as well. And so it's instructive, I think, that we can look at music that was written during difficult circumstances and see how many different ways they urged us to look to the, look to the current moment. I think with the Quartet for the End of Time, that's an incredibly hopeful, um, inspiring, um, faith-driven piece. Yeah. And with the fanfare for the common man, just something that's, you know, so stirring. It's... Um, it still brings chills to me to this day listening to it. And then with the Appalachian Spring, the idea of cherishing simple gifts. Yeah. And well, I think all of those are lessons that, you know, really have particular poignance at this moment. Well, and, and Aaron, I want to bring you in on this because we can look at, you know, sort of the glass half empty, half full situation. I mean, we've had to dial back live performance in our community, but by the same token, as Merwin has been saying, we've kind of been doubling down on the value of music that it has in people's lives and, and live performance and the ability to actually share in that experience. Aaron, you work a lot in group family counseling, and I just wonder what you have seen as far as your practice goes as a clinical psychotherapist with people dealing uh, with COVID right now, and and are you seeing people finding any kind of solace or respite in other activities, music for one? Sure. Um, so what we found since March is such an influx of calls that we cannot keep up. I've hired a number of new therapists to join the practice, and as soon as I can hire them, we have their schedules full, and then we need to hire more people. And it has been a challenge the entire time. I found out at one point my staff, trying so hard to be helpful, had acquired a list from people calling of over 150 people on a wait list. And I had to tell them to stop taking names because wow. we just had to tell people we couldn't see them. It, we just don't have the ability. So um, the way I've kind of seen it is that anything that wasn't going well before is worse now. So there are a lot of couples who are struggling who already had relationship issues and the added strain of <clears throat> one or both of them having major changes professionally, whether they've lost a job or had to cut back hours and pay, um, has been a huge stressor for couples and for families. Um, just the added um, emotional uh, weight of being whichever parent stays home with kids who are um, forced to stay home from school and 
do online or homeschooling has been really stressful for families. And anyone before who struggled with anxiety or depression seems to be struggling even more. So it does seem that it kind of made anything that wasn't great much worse. Yeah. Well, Merwin, you can speak to uh, having to deal with family at home. I mean, you've been sequestered with your your two young boys and your wife, of course. How has that experience been for you personally? I think there's a lot of ups and downs. I think that generally my kids have taken pretty well to this, all things considered. I think we've been very fortunate that our school environment was kind of prepared for this and did a robust job of adapting to this situation. And I, you know, it's heartbreaking to read that that's not, you know, that's not the case all all over, you know, the region. And that's some, some, some educators as well as their students are maybe struggling a little bit more. But I think, of course, there's the occasional meltdown that's just like, you know, like, I think when we talk about the straws that break the camel's back, it feels like straws are heavier now. <laughs> so, <laughs> Giving out free straws yes, to everybody. Like yeah. yeah. Elaine, you've spoken about, you know, dealing with it professionally. I mean, and, and we're all opening up a little bit here just by nature of the, the subject today. But, but personally, how has it been for you? And, and, and you know, spending more time, I assume, with, with your loved ones uh, during this pandemic. Well, personally, how could I say? Uh, you know, I work a lot. I, I'm, I'm somebody with, with a pretty full plate at work. Mind you, I, I keep a lot of time for the family. But the fact that I had to, uh, we all had to take some, you know, time off in brackets because there's, we're still working. It's just that I'm not moving as much. It's a big part of my work is to move around, like uh, going to Toledo, going yeah. to Montreal, I have life in both places. And, you know, often I do an opera uh, in another city and things like that. Just being around with my little Madeleine this time, that has been the one of the, the positive. And I, you know, I, have, I hesitate at saying positive because so many people have lived the most horrible things through this COVID, but it is not my case. I mean, I actually found it a very positive time with the family. My, I have two sons that are that are young men and you know young men they still need a bit of guidance you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I consider myself in that category so yeah. you, you'll be fine brad okay just, just good to know <laughs> and uh no and, and uh, good, yeah <laughs> and and homeschooling home, homeschooling is something that i enjoy doing a lot uh and uh madeleine's mother also uh, so this is some, and, and you get to see every single little partial of, uh, of growth and progress of your, of your kids. So of course it's very tiring, <laughs> but, right. but you know, but, but you know, I've never gone to bed as early as that in my life. But, <laughs> but, <laughs> so w- what I'm getting from you is that you're volunteering to homeschool everyone's kids, right? <laughs> oh, because yeah. you enjoy it, Merwin. Your problems are solved. Uh-huh. <laughs> Just send them, send them up to Canada. We can do everything virtually these It'll days. Yeah, I mean, we're getting a a, a real behind the scenes look right now at, at what's going on with folks. And you know, like I said at the beginning of the show, we don't want to be a complete downer, but there are certainly serious issues that we have to deal with. And 
you know, to a certain extent, we're all talking from a point of, of privilege. I mean, we've been able to maintain our professional lives as well as our personal lives under the pandemic. But so many people, and as Aaron have sa- has said, you know, are struggling with devastating consequences. Aaron, wh- what do you do with somebody who comes to you and says, you know, my life is falling apart because of the pandemic? I mean, what what can you do to help get them back on the road to, to mental health and thinking positively? Sure. So when I assess a client, I really love the analogy of a house, um, that we're like a house with many rooms. And I try to take um, the point of view where we need some perspective to start, because when you're in the house that's been damaged in some way, it's hard to assess. So I talk about stepping outside, like take a walk around, um, for some people to, you know, flesh out the analogy, they just lost a couple shingles off the roof. For other people, it's like they sustained a major hit from a tornado. And so just being able to say, okay, where, where is the problem that we can look at solving? And, and can you? Because there are situations where you may not have a lot of control. I mean, if, if someone in your family is sick, you can't fix that. Um, if someone's in the hospital and they actually have it, you can't fix it. But if you have had your hours cut at work, there's a possibility that you can find supplemental work or look at your budget. So to me, the first step is just assessing where you're at, what the major issues are that are affecting you, um, and then looking for solutions because solution-focused therapy is a really great way to stay positive. But I I never discount the fact, though, that there are there's a lot of grief and loss, and we have to face that and deal with the emotions. Um, and mostly to me, that's about feeling the emotions, experiencing them, and not using <clears throat> things that are fun. Um, for some people, that's social media. Other people, it's Netflix. Other people, it's alcohol, um, excessive food consumption. There's all sorts of things we do to avoid the feelings, but I think there's something really <clears throat> meaningful about just sitting with yeah. emotion, even if it's difficult, and experiencing it so we can move through it instead of running away from it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let me ask you, Aaron, have you had anybody, I, I mean, without betraying any confidences here, have you have you had to deal with anybody who are in the performing arts uh, dealing with this pandemic? Yeah, for sure. Um, I actually did, um, I did an online speaking engagement for um, Oklahoma City University, which is a big Bachelor of Fine Arts program for musical theater students. And just you, to see all of their young faces looking so um, stunned um, and confused, right? Because they don't even have the benefit of the decades that some of us on this call have. Yeah. Um, and so for them, they've performed their whole young lives, you know, all of what, 20 years old. And they're looking at an immediate future where there are literally zero jobs. It's not like, oh, if you want to be a musical theater actor, it's going to be a rough road. It's like there's not a single job on Broadway open right now. Um, and so th- it's a lot of um, reevaluation of for younger people. Is this what I want to do? Do I want to do it professionally? Could it be a hobby? How can I do it when there's no performing venues? Um, and I think people are resilient and are getting um, increasingly creative with ideas of um, I have a friend in Chicago who works at Roosevelt University, and they just did a dramatic reading of a play online on Zoom. Um, another friend in California who his theater company is just trying to do weekly workshops to get people together to talk about the arts and show people different arts that they might not be used to, um, handcrafting arts and um, visual arts. Um, so I'm really encouraged to watch different types of artists, visual and performing artists, find ways to connect 
still to still participate in what they love, um, even though things have changed so dramatically. Even our own Toledo rep um, put up the musical chess, and it was fairly socially distant. It was outside. Everyone wore masks unless they were alone on stage for a solo. Notre Dame Academy here in town, um, the high school kids just did Into the Woods, fully masked, outdoors. It's been encouraging to see people dig deep and look for ways to continue to do what they love and what fills them up. Well, I think the creativity is is key, and especially seeing that in young people who sort of have, as you say, a blank slate as far as performing goes. Mm-hmm. But they also have their imaginations. They also have their creativity. And it seems to me that the arts and especially the performing arts are such an integral part of the human experience. I mean, what do we turn to, you know, when we don't want to immerse ourselves in the news of the day? Well, music and the arts and plays and theater and literature, those are things that remind us of the whole human experience and the fact that we will eventually get through this pandemic and things will change. It'll be forever affected by what we've gone through, but there is a message of hope there, is there not? Absolutely. Um, and I think it, specifically when it comes to music, um, seeing how people are able to use it to change uh, mood, to experience mood. Um, sometimes I have clients who, as I'm sure you can all relate to, will talk about having a down day or a dark mood and really wanting to go there. And so listening to pieces that are sad and to what feels like a dark melancholy and how that can be part of processing emotions, but then how we also can turn to more joyful pieces that are um, uplifting to help us experience that, you know, to bring about the emotions um, of hope and um, encouragement. I think, like you said, I mean, the arts are universal, and I do think that so many people have turned toward them in the pandemic to find a way to experience Again, you know, all the arts, writing arts, um, visual arts, but finding ways to express um, all of this emotion because everyone is so burdened with so many feelings that are so big right now. Yay! Okay. Let me give you a little applause there for hey, your, I'll your words. Hey, I'll take any applause I can get right now. <laughs> Absolutely. We're, we're still performing, at least in terms of the uh, the podcast today. <laughs> um, now, I spoke with you, Aaron, and I asked you to, to give us a, a little bit of your professional life as a clinical th- psychotherapist in terms of doing a little mental health assessment. I, I did one of these tests online, right, like psychologytoday.com, where they assess sure. your mental health. And, and I had two pings here. One of them said I scored 30 on generalized anxiety disorder. And the other one said I scored a 21 on a major depressive disorder, not to be a downer again. But um, I asked you maybe if you could do like a little clinical testing kind of thing, and and you agreed to do that for me. Are we still on for that? Yes. Well, okay. So I had prepared like a personality test. Would you rather I talk more about the anxiety and depression side of it? No, let's stay with the personality test because I'm sure that'll be more entertaining. Yeah, this is is much lighter than doing like a Beck Beck depression inventory or Beck anxiety inventory. We'll we'll save that for your next appearance, the depression. Let me pull (laughs) up a little... That will uh, be when we don't win an award. Yeah. (laughs) Let me... But I will say, though, if someone is struggling with anxiety and depression, 
depression, just a caveat, they should absolutely be reaching out to um, local therapists. I mean, we're really full right now, but there are plenty of practitioners in the area and all over where people are listening. Um, and I always refer people to psychologytoday.com because they have a therapist finder, a search engine there if you are somewhere else and you need to find a therapist in your area. Absolutely. I don't know if this is the right music. Yeah, should we re record that with that? But, uh, well, let's go ahead. Let's see how it goes. Okay. I mean, it could okay. always be worse. Go ahead. So, so this is the Myers-Briggs personality test. And some of you might already know your four-letter type. But in case you're not sure or aren't familiar, I'll run you through a super quick four-question quiz that will give you um, four letters that will give you your type, and you'll be one of 16 types, then I can tell you a little bit more about the type that you've okay. landed into. They do have, of course, much more comprehensive um, at local psychological centers. You can sit and take the test, which is 300 questions. So this is a <laughs> super simplified version. So basically, the first letter you're going to get is either an E or an I. And it has to do with whether you are introverted or extroverted. So really simply, um, what we like to say about introversion and extroversion now is, where do you get your energy? Now, I know at the end of the day, when I'm tired, I do want to be alone. But at my core, I'm not really an introvert. Just sometimes I'm tired. So you, I think people generally know if they tend to be introverted or extroverted. Um, when you are looking um, to fill your soul, not just relax and rejuvenate, but you want to fill your soul. Are the activities usually you alone, like gardening, reading, or are they engaging with friends, having discussion and conversation? So you have to choose whether you're introverted more or extroverted more, and you'll give yourself an E or an I. And, and we should be assessing this based on normality, not on quarantine, right? Correct. Yes, yeah. I know this does kind of throw things off. Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, the second letter you're going to get is either going to be S as in Sam or N as in no. Um, and these are um, sensing or intuition. So the, the main idea of this is do you tend to, <clears throat> excuse me, look for details, assess a situation um, by the facts and figures, or do, like, so that would be sensing. You use your senses to gain information and understanding by what's going on in your life, or you tend to be really intuitive. You are um, quick to make a decision. You have gut feelings and responses. You just kind of know without even having to study or look something up. You just have a gut feeling about things. So when it comes to making decisions in life, do you tend to do, I guess it would be more of like a head or a heart. Are you a head sensing, which would be the S, or you're, are you intuitive in your gut you make decisions? That's what informs your decisions is your gut. So you okay. have an E or an I for your first letter, an S or an N for your second letter. Your third is going to be either a T as in Tom or an F as in Frank. Um I'll give you a scenario. Let's say um, someone's trying to sway you away from your job for another job, um, and you aren't sure because the salary is higher there, but you love the people that you work with here. How do you make a decision? Do you follow your feelings like, oh, I would miss my friends, or, ooh, I would love that town, 
Or do you tend to be someone who would um, weigh arguments and just say, okay, well, this one is this much more money, you know, compared to this, how much will I make per month? How much will that help me pay my bills? So do you tend to trust thinking, your thoughts, or your feelings? So, and it's probably more of, you know, if someone had to describe you, would they say you're more intellectual or more emotional? Okay. And that will give you a T for thinking or an F for feeling. Got it. And the last letter you're going to get in your four-letter Myers-Briggs profile is going to be either J for John or P for Paul. And I'll give you another scenario. Let's say um, you're getting ready um, to go to a, a friend's wedding, a big event. Um, a month before, if they've, um, if you know you're going to be part of the celebration, are you working on what outfit you're going to wear, um, exactly what hotel you're going to be in, making sure it's the least expensive one in town, getting directions, figuring out exactly how long it's going to take you to get there, getting the perfect gift? Like, are you detail-oriented and you're, like, checking all the boxes, crossing T's and dotting I's? Or are you way more spontaneous? You're like, I don't know, I'll I'll figure it out 10 minutes before I have to go. I'll look it up online. And oops, I probably should stop and get a card on the way because I didn't really plan. (laughs) That's definitely uh, the fly by the seat of the pants approach tends to be a little bit more me there. So um, yeah, so are you someone who makes lists and cross them off and very detail oriented? Or are you someone who just kind of lives in the moment spontaneously and don't always have a plan? Um, J is what we call judging, and P is perceiving. Um, those are the two last ones. J is the rules-oriented, and P is go with the flow. Wow. Okay, so now each of you can tell me what your letters are. Brad, Merlin, Elaine, and I'm going to write them down, and then I'll tell you more about your types. Brad, what do you got? I'm an ESTJ. ESTJ, okay. Elaine, what are you? Elaine, are you still there? (laughs) Yeah, 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 of course. (laughs) Did you get letters? Yeah, well, I, I, could you repeat the first, uh, the first one, the first letter? The first one is is just introversion or extroversion. Yeah, yeah, um, so it's an E or an I, right? Correct. Okay, so I would say uh, ENTP. ENTP. Okay, cool. And Merwin. I, for me, the hardest one to decide is extroversion versus introversion. I'm, I kind sure. of feel right on the cusp, but I'm going to go ISTP. Oh. I, um, F, did you say, yeah, I, F, I, S, T, P. Okay, got yeah. it. Okay. So, E, F, T, J, Brad, you are known as the commander. Only oh, I like that. Only 3% of men fall into this category and only 1% of women. So this is one of the more rare types. This is what my little test says about you. Um, Life for you can be a struggle and extreme. This is how you know yourself and others. You're risky and brave, easily inspired to start something new. At the same time, you assess your abilities, your strengths, and your um, weaknesses, and you're really good at doing that. Um, you are open to new ideas and you think positively and it says you, you tend to like competition or sports. Is that true? Are you competitive? 
Um, not as much as I used to be, but, but <laughs> when I was younger, yeah, definitely. Sure, sure. Uh-huh. That makes sense. All right. So, E-N-T-P. Elaine, this puts you in the category of the inventor. Um, 4% of women and 2% or 4% of men and 2% of women fall in this category. So you are really good with coming up with new ideas, um, real creative, love to create new things. You're very adaptable, which makes sense since you go back and forth between so many groups and different areas. <laughs> yeah. mm. um, and you're really masterful at um, making uh, new plans for different um, parts of your life as you need to. Uh, because you're not a huge fan of traditions or routine, uh, you often change professional spheres and hobbies because you are an innovator and a pioneer. Um, what is important to know is not only are you good at creating new ideas, but you're excellent at conveying ideas to other people, which I think speaks so strongly to what you do professionally. Yeah. Oh, nice. Interesting. Yeah. I, but 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 know that I'm in Toledo for a long haul. <laughs> <laughs> right. We're glad to, we're glad to hear that. Okay, so Merwin, you fall into the group called the handyman. Nine um, percent of men, two percent of women. So the, the per, people who fall into the handyman category tend to have a really technical mindset, um, like to do things by hand or at least by themselves. They're not um, they're not fast to make decisions. They're kind of the person who's like better to measure twice, right, and cut once, so that you're you're planned and methodical in your decision making. Um, you tend to be someone who, unlike maybe the procrastinators out there, um, is good at meeting deadlines or at least coming close. And you're punctual by nature. Is that true, Merwin? This is totally wrong. I think I, I did I did all of those questions completely wrong. No, yeah. I think yeah, I'm. Not that that didn't really think. Uh, I think I must have done that wrong. I'm still calling hold you on. the handyman. Though. <laughs> That's totally fine. Okay. Um, you All right, know. hold on. Let's let's look for you, Merwin, at the one who um, says that you're extroverted but have the other um, things, the other categories, the same. Yes. So this TP. one says that victory is more important than participation. You like to be a winner <laughs> and have. You like to have goals. Um, and have a plan that you know you can win and not have to compromise and be independent in your winning, that you're a born fighter, very active, and organized. Does that sound any more right? <laughs> no. I'm... Oh, come on. I think, I think that's... A... I think Merwin that's will say... Closer. I think that's definitely yeah. closer. But yeah. the, you, you, we were getting there until organized. <laughs> okay. Well, this this shows the importance of answering questions. Honestly. I think I need the three hundred question version. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you might. You might. What are yeah. your letters, Aaron? I assume you've taken this test. Yes. Yes. Uh huh. I'm an ENFP. Um, it's mostly about being really energetic. Um, uh, someone who likes to engage a lot of people and get them moving in the same direction. Uh, creativity. Uh, so, yeah, I definitely fall in that. It's kind of the bouncy tigger kind of person. <laughs> what, what is your nickname, though? Merwin's a handyman. Oh, it is, yeah, it's the champion. So, And mostly like the champion of I think. When I think of it, I think of other people. Like, how can I lift other people up and help them find their greatness? Wonderful. So I've got Ooh. nicknames for all of us. That's great. Yes, yes. 
Uh, we do want to give a shout out. I mean, you talk about how busy you've been, but uh, you do uh, own the Willow Center, and and folks can read more about um, your practice online, right? Where should they go, Aaron? Absolutely. Yep. Our website is just willowcenter.com. We're opening um, a second location in Bowling Green, Ohio, um, like in a week. Okay, so great. We'll be serving that area as well. Well, I want to thank you, Aaron, for joining us today and talking about this incredibly important situation which has affected everybody's lives. And, and also just to remind us of the importance of music and the arts in our lives at this time. I mean, in terms of what the Toledo Symphony is doing, still performing, doing live performances. Yes, you have a smaller crowd coming, but you're also offering these experiences online so that folks can sort of still pretend, you know, that they're there, they can still participate in the music. And I know, Elaine, you have thoughts about this because we've spoken about it before, but the importance of staying connected in terms of what you and Merwin are doing with the Toledo Symphony. Do you do you have anything you want to say about that? Well, well, thank you, Brad. Well, the, the fact that uh, there's a, a connection that, you know, an orchestra is still on stage, they still have humans that can go somewhere and participate with other humans <laughs> yeah. in, 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 uh, in an activity that defines us. So it's not just about getting things done. It's about taking a moment to uh, to to reassess humanity each time. I mean, it sounds big the way I say it, but it's true. I mean, this is a moment, and even people who watch it on on our on our on our application, it's still live music. It's still music that uh, we bring to people, and the programs we try to um, to convey uh, have uh, thematics that work with the the time that we're in. And it's uh, I think the arts. It's a time where the arts are so important because this is a way to not just comfort, but this is a way to define us. This program is a production of WGTE Public Media in collaboration with our sponsor, the Toledo Symphony, with generous support from the Rita Barber Kern Foundation. You can download episodes of our program as a podcast by going to our website at wgte.org lab. You can also subscribe to us through your podcast app of choice, including Apple and Google Podcasts. Don't forget you can check out all the upcoming events at the Toledo Symphony by visiting their website, toledosymphony.com. Also, their various social media outlets on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can find the TSO streaming concerts online at stream.artstoledo.com. My thanks to Merwin Sue, Elaine Trudell, and our special guest, Aaron Wiley. I'm Brad Cresswell. You've been listening to Toledo Symphony Lab from FM 91.